They are sleek, swift, and deadly. They are the X-Wing fighters, and as the struggle rages across the vastness of space, the fearless men and women who pilot them risk both their lives and their machines. Their mission? To defend the Rebel Alliance against a still-powerful and battle-hardened Imperial foe in a last-ditch effort to control the stars. X-Wing, Rogue Squadron. Its very name strikes fear into enemy hearts. So when rebel hero Wedge Antilles rebuilds the legendary Rogue Squadron, he seeks out only the best, the most skilled, the most daring X-Wing pilots. Through arduous training and dangerous missions, he weeds out the weak from the strong, assembling a group of hard-bitten warriors willing to fight, ready to die. Antilles knows the grim truth, that even with the best X-Wing jockeys in the galaxy, many will not survive their near-suicidal missions. But when Rogue Squadron is ordered to assist in the assault of a heavily fortified Imperial stronghold of Black Moon, even the bravest must wonder if any at all will survive. Target, maximum firepower. Welcome to Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast that says I might not come out every week as scheduled, but when I drop, I'm bringing the irredeemable shag with me. That's right, people. If you're listening to this podcast, it means the computer that crashed two weeks ago has been returned to me, and with it, five episodes of Dead Boffin Spies that were near completion. I was really holding my breath for a while, thinking that I would have to re-record those interviews and segments, but thank the maker that it's not the case. And as you heard me say a moment ago, I am thrilled to have my best friend in the whole wide world, Chag O'Halloran, as my guest today. Chag previously appeared on episode 5 of this show, where he and his Fire and Water podcast co-host, Rob Kelly, joined me for a discussion about Marvel's new Star Wars comic. A few days before that, however, Shag and I had a one-on-one talk covering multiple elements of the Star Wars Expanded Universe. We talked for over two hours, of which about 45 minutes was just Shag berating me for not watching Doctor Who. Rather than dump our whole talk into one episode, I'm going to spread it out over a couple weeks, and the subject of our first installment is the X-Wing Rogue Squadron series of novels and comics. In the mid-90s, while the Expanded Universe was in full swing, the folks at Lucasfilm recognized the popularity among fans of my man Wedge Antilles and put the character front and center. In 1995, Dark Horse Comics launched the X-Wing Rogue Squadron comic series, loosely spun off from the popular X-Wing video game, and a year later, Bantam published the first of a series of X-Wing novels. 
Both the comics and the novels featured Wedge leading the galaxy's best starfighter aces in pitched combat against the forces of the evil empire. Basically, Top Gun given a Star Wars twist. And what was more remarkable at the time was that the bigger stars of the franchise were nowhere to be found. This was all about Wedge and a handful of other pilots from the films like Jansen and Hobby, and a bunch of new hotshots, including the maverick of the expanded universe, Corrin Horn. When I started Dead Bath and Spies, this was one of the first topics I wanted to delve into, especially after Shag mentioned that Corrin Horn is one of his favorite EU characters. I want to like Corrin, but he treads a little too closely to Mary Sue territory for my comfort. I mentioned this to Shag during our talk, and he got so upset that ever since, once a day he emails me a picture of a dead cat. It was terrifying at first. But I got used to it, and now, honestly, I can't imagine my day without those awful feline snuff photos. Anyway, rather than tell you more about Corrin and the X-Wing books, tune in now to the first part of my talk with the irredeemable Shag. All wings report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 7 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 2 standing by. Red 11 standing by. Red 5 standing by. When did you start reading the books or the comics? Which one did you find first? Uh, actually, it was the books. Yeah. What happened was a friend of mine who lived about three doors down. I was in college when they came out. Mm-hmm. He lived about three doors down from my townhouse. He was an avid player of the X-Wing video game. Just an addict, a junkie. Yeah. And I used to go down to his house. And <laughs> Have you ever played the old X-Wing game? Yeah, I remember playing it. Not, I don't. Not, I don't remember playing it well, but I, I'm sure I did. Okay. Well, back then, I mean, we, we, I don't know if everyone else did this, but we would do this. Um, we would play where someone would be the pilot and someone would be the R2 unit. <laughs> so it's just because it, more people got to play that way, yep. and that way also the pilot could focus on killing the TIE fighters that were coming yep. at him. Yep. So, <clears throat> forgive me, someone would sit over there with, like, you know, again, the R2 unit, and they'd be doing, um, you know, adjusting the shields forward and backward and all that stuff, and then the pilot's shooting everybody, and it was just a blast, an absolute blast for me. Then the books came out, you know, the books supposedly, I mean, they, I don't know if they've ever come out right and said it, but supposedly the books were inspired by the video game. Yeah, yeah. So, I was already a fan of the game, not that I could play it myself for the damn, because I suck at video games, but I was able to R2 unit for my buddies and mm-hmm. had a good time. So I picked up the first book pretty much off the shelf and read it and just devoured it. And that would have been, what, 1980, 1996? Is that right? Yeah, the, the, the book, the first book came out in 96. The comic series started in 95. Did the comic series start first? Really? That, yeah, the comic started. Now, Mike Stagpole, who was writing the books, um, only got a story credit on the first like eight or twelve issues of the comic. Um, I think he was more of an advisor because he had never written comics before. Um, so he didn't take over the scripting duties of the comic until the third or fourth story arc. Interesting. Because um, actually, to this day, I've still never read all the comics. I've just read bits and pieces of them. Yeah, I finally, I, I, I was sort of in that, that mold, and I finally found, I think it was actually through InStockTrades.com, um, oh. which I don't have a sponsorship deal, so I don't have to name drop them, but I did. <laughs> Um, but they had um, they had the three omnibus editions for pretty cheap, and I got them all at the same time to to collect them. And I don't I don't think they have them in stock anymore. So, well, not after December thirty first. No, so. no. Now Marvel might reprint them. We'll have to see. That's true. So I, I, I read, and actually, so ninety six the last is the last time I read the book. You know, I mean, yeah. so I read it when yeah. it came out, and I devoured it. And then as each one came out, I was reading them every single month, or not every month, but every time they were released. Right. So, um, you know, the order was you know one two three four. Then we got the Wraith Squadron books. Right. Somewhere in there, 
came out I Jedi. Yeah. And then we came back with um, Isard's Revenge. Yes. Yeah. Is, our, is it Isard or Isard? I think it's. I, I always said Isard, but who knows? Yeah, I'm trying. Then to... you get Starfighters. Um, yeah, I think I, because they they made a joke of calling her Iceheart, and phonetically that sounds like Isard. Oh. Um, so I think I think you're right. I think it's Isard. Look at the big brain on Druncula. Yeah, Not yeah. Bad. So, um, and then we got Starfighters of Adumar, or whatever, which kind of came out of nowhere. Like I remember when that was released, I was like, "Really? I didn't think they were doing these books anymore." Mm-hmm. And it kind of is a standalone story. Mm-hmm. And then, um, very recently, just in the last few years, we got—I'm I'm moving my books so I can get to it—X-wing Mercy Kill. Yeah, I heard about that, and I've never seen, and I've never like taken a look at it. But I was curious that they were still doing that. I haven't read it either. Mm-hmm. Now that one's written by Aaron Alston, the guy who wrote the Race right. books, and you know he's passed away now. I didn't know that. Yeah, he died either in 2013 or 2014. Kind oh, of wow. Not, not, not an old guy at all. So. Yeah, because he was writing the, the Legacy of the Force or the Fate of the Jedi books with the other... Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, I enjoyed those. I, I Well, I haven't read the... Let's see. I'm trying to see here. Uh, I have not read the Fate of the Jedi, but I've read okay. the Legacy of the Force, which I enjoy the heck out of those. Jets, I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. So there's these books called the X-Wing books. Yeah, I remember those. So. <laughs> right. What I loved about it, first of all, not, like, well, at least for the first three books, no Jedis. Right, right. And, and that first, the first one, Rogue Squadron, I believe was the first book not to have any of the big three heroes. I think it was the first book that that Star Wars, like, Expanded Universe had without Luke, Han, or Leia. That was a big deal. Yeah, that's quite possible. Now, I, the... Um... I don't know if they had done the anthologies like Tales from Jabba's Palace yet and stuff like that. Because mm. those were, you know, obviously about minor characters. But those were all little short stories. Right, so. right. But, oh, my gosh. I totally forgot something. Okay. okay. This is cool to me. But, um, <laughs> actually, I was wrong. The way I came upon the the X-Wing book first mm-hmm. was, okay, I was playing the video game. But then I used to get something called the Star Wars Adventure Journal. Which was published by West End Games. Yeah. You, you familiar with this? I, I've heard of it. I've never actually had one or read one, but yeah, I know it. They are sort of legendary and hard to find now. Mm-hmm. But there are these these beautiful tomes. It's uh, I'm pulling one out right now. They are how many pages was this thing? It's massive. Two hundred and eighty four pages, right? Phew. But it's the size of like a, what they call when you go into a bookstore now and, and you can get a paperback or you can get like a trade paper. Yeah. Not, yeah. not our comic book speak trade, but right. it's larger size. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the larger size, 284 pages, and this one I bought, um, actually it's the one in my hands right now, and in it has a story by Michael Stackpole, yep. and this was prior to the release of the X-Wing books. It is a short story that he wrote for the Adventure Journal, and it's about Corrin Horn, okay. sort of getting hooked up with the, with the Rogue Squadron, hmm. and uh, it's a great little story, and it's also got a Timothy Zahn short story in here about um, Thrawn. Okay. So it's a great. In fact, oh look at that! I got. Oh wow! I apparently met uh, Timothy Zahn and Michael Stackpole and got them both to sign it. I forgot about that. Nice. Look at me being cool. <laughs> anyway, so uh, it was a great short story. I was like, wow, this is really cool. This Corn Horn guy sounds cool. Then I picked up the book because okay. you know all those details matter to your listeners at home. Right. To me. <laughs> so um, where are we going with this? Great books. Yeah. Well, okay. Well then, let's talk about let's talk about Corn Horn. Awesome character. Quite um, possibly my favorite, you know, outside of Mara. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly my favorite 
protagonist yeah. character from Expanded Universe. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, who, who doesn't love Thrawn? He's right, so exactly. badass. But, yeah, is Mara he, and Corrin are just the, the bomb. Right. Yeah, the question is, is Grand Admiral Thrawn the best Star Wars villain? Or is he only the very best Star Wars villain? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people out there that can't stand Thrawn. I know, and those people are wrong. That's correct. You know what? I always say, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. Theirs just happens to be wrong. Right. So, And they can have their own um, podcast. And, and I, I get where they're coming from. They talk about the plot holes in the books yeah. and how studying the art's ridiculous. But you know what? I don't care. I love those three books, the the, the Zahn trilogy. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I highly recommend anyone if you want to if you love those books and you want to re-listen to or reread them. Um, they have books on tape for them, and they are unabridged. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I I think it may they originally were actually produced for probably people who were sight impaired. Because mm-hmm. it's, it, there's a whole lot of talk about the Library of Congress and all this stuff on, on the front end and the back end of it. Hmm. So it almost sounds like it wasn't really the kind of audiobook you buy in the store. Right. But um, I'm just saying you can find them out there in places. Just saying. Nice. And uh, I've re-listened to all three of the books a few times now because, mm-hmm. you know, I had a long commute. Mm-hmm. And, man, they're still great. They really are. I, I reread them because they re-released a 25th edition, 25th anniversary edition of Heir to the Empire, not too long yeah. ago, which is the silver cover, right? Yeah, yeah, and it has um, it has notations, it has like footnotes and sort of a, a writer's commentary by Timothy Zahn, and I was really hoping that he would do one for all three of them, that, but they only did it for Heir to the Empire. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, that's the one everyone talks about. Yeah, of course. Um, it was really cool to get his insight into the book and some of his thought process about like certain characters and certain situations. But there were times when I was really annoyed because he came off as, and I understand why he did it, but he came off as sort of apologist about the contradictions between his work and the prequels and sort of saying, and, and sort of taking the blame on himself. And I was like, no, that's not your fault. They didn't, like the, the prequels retconned your stuff. You don't have to apologize for the differences of it. But he's really kind of, he, he's kind of taking the onus on himself, like as if he should have known better. And I think he's doing that just because he still wants to get paid writing Star Wars books in the future. I don't know. I, I would say it's probably more going to conventions for the last 20 years and getting beat up by nerds. Um, I, 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 this year at Dragon Con, there was a really cool panel. It had Timothy Zahn, uh, it had Michael Stackpole, it had jeez, um, oh Kevin J. Anderson, yeah, yeah. a bunch of a bunch of people. And even to this friggin' day, mm-hmm. most of the questions were total fanboy nerd wank. Like, you know, how do you reconcile this and this? Yeah. And it's like, guys, it's, he wrote the book twenty years ago before the prequels. Who cares? You know, just accept it. You know, There's no I, indication that the prequels were ever going to be made. Like, right. And, not- and when they did this book, and, and I wish I had this article somewhere. I don't. Yeah. Uh, and this addresses, um, you know, when they, they changed everything to the Legends series. Yeah. Um, Lucas said back in, or Lucasfilm, I should mm-hmm. say, said back in 92 when Heir to the Empire came out, they said this is officially the Star Wars canon. Mm-hmm. Unless George does more movies, and if so, he has the right to deny the stuff as canon. Right. So we've always known we were living on borrowed time. (laughs) We always knew it. It's nothing new. No one should be too – I mean, it's kind of sad that our stuff doesn't, you know, quote-unquote, exist anymore, except for the fact you can still pick up the book and read it. Right. Um, So, but uh, it's not – 
I went through a little bit of like a disparaging moments when when they made that announcement. I was upset for a little while and I eventually got over it. But well, I was. Um, this was. I so, was. I was going to have like a whole. In my first episode, I was going to do a whole editorial where I was going to talk about my version of Star Wars and the things that that I preferred and what I kind of expected to see happening. And as I was doing it, I sort of realized that the retcon, like when they just announced the Legends, it didn't bother me really at all because at some point a couple of years ago, I just made the distinction in my mind that some of the Star Wars material is in, is canon to me. And yeah. some isn't. The prequel films aren't canon to me. I, I sort of disavow those. I don't want to accept those as the backstory for Darth Vader and the Clone Wars. And it's it's really easy. Like I, you've you actually mentioned it. I think on the Fire and Water podcast one time about how Star Trek fans a long time ago were able to say no. There are different continuities. There are different timelines, and this doesn't throw off our worldview and Star Wars fans for some reason were never able to do that they had to have everything on one rigid inflexible timeline and everything locked down to the moment and I I realized I was like no that's not that's not how I want to live because I want to like Heir to the Empire and I want to like Dark Empire but those two stories really don't work together in the same continuity because Dark Empire takes place like six minutes after the end of Timothy Zahn's trilogy. <laughs> and the Empire has taken over Coruscant. And like everything that happened in the Thrawn trilogy is meaningless because of the events that happened in the first page of Dark Empire. Yep. I was like, those are good stories, but they're not, they're not, they don't work in the same universe. I'm, um, glad, I'm glad you brought up that Star Trek Star Wars distinction. I was about to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> I have to give credit to a buddy of mine there. That came from a buddy of mine named Ravenface. Yeah. And uh, he had that insight. And I was like, wow, you're totally right. Because Star Trek had been, you know, there's the Kirk and or there's the Shatner books and mm-hmm. there's, you know, the cartoon. There's all the different eras of Star Trek and it doesn't seem to bother him. So mm-hmm. interestingly enough, with. Uh, Dark Empire, and then I don't know how apocryphal this story is. I wanted to ask Timothy Zahn this year, but I didn't get her a chance. Mm-hmm. I had always heard that, because the, the sequence of way it worked out, Heir to the Empire came out, then Dark Empire. Dark right. Empire came out before Dark Force Rising. Right. And the way I always heard the story was, yes, you know, Zahn goes and reads Dark Empire and goes, wait a minute, they're doing cloning? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, Lucasfilm knows I'm saving for the third book, or second book, I guess it was, whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess it's really the third book. Anyway, they know they're doing cloning, and they had Coruscant fall. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you know what? Screw this. I don't want to work with other writers that are going to do this kind of stuff. So he actually made the decision to kill Thrawn in the third book, rather than let Thrawn live on right. and let other writers screw him up. Yeah. So, you know, is that true? I have no idea. That's what I heard. It really has nothing to do with the X-Men books, though, by the way. <laughs> no, but who cares? <laughs> but that's, that's interesting, because I, I can definitely see that, and I, I, I know that nobody, nobody else really... No, yeah, nobody else was able to touch Thrawn or really write him. But even afterwards, nobody else really wrote Mara Jade that much with, without him. And when they did, they never wrote her very well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I wonder if he kind of had a stance, if he if he just sort of encouraged that they didn't use her, or if that was just other authors' prerogatives. But well, unfortunately, he came back and tried to sort that out later. Mm-hmm. Um, was it? Uh, I'm looking at my book, Specter of the Past. Specter of the Past and, and Vision of the Future. Vision of the Future, which 
were not that good of books. I, I, I wasn't that wild with them when I read them the first time, and then I reread them for a project I was doing about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, those books are a bit of a letdown. Um, now, it, he does sort of try and clean up the past with what had happened with Mara over mm-hmm. the years and basically said, oh, all that stuff that happened, well, this is right. what was really going on. Right. You know, but it's, no, no one did handle Mara as well as him. You're right. Now, they did some great comics with her, too. Yeah, yeah, they did. So. All right, so X-Wing. Uh, Corrin Horn, really cool character. Felt like I was reading almost like a Han kind of character, except as mm-hmm. a starfighter pilot rather than a star freighter pilot. Mm-hmm. You know, he was very much the action go-getter, although, he, you know, Han supposedly has had an Imperial past, and this guy had, you know, a, a Corellian past as, right. a, as an agent, and totally badass in the cockpit. One of the things I loved about the books, too, is when I would read the books... And they would talk. They had all the code names, like you know, squints were and eyeballs and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I could actually, and they talk about banking left and bank rolling port and starboard and all that. Mm-hmm. I actually could follow the action. Like, how do you follow a dogfight in a book? They, he did it. Stackpole oh, pulled it off. I thought those were the best scenes in those books. Were actually the space battles and the the yeah. dogfight scenes. I thought he had a much better command of that than the political intrigue stuff and the intelligence. Hmm. Um, okay. And that, so this, okay, before we get too far afield, I do want to talk about Corrin Horn because yeah. you you like him a lot, and I have a problem with the character. I like the character, but I have a big problem with him. Let's revisit an earlier statement, which is everyone <laughs> has a right to their opinion. Yours is wrong, but go ahead. Okay, but it's my podcast, and I can be wrong on my podcast. No, yes, you can be wrong. I'm sorry. Yes, you cannot, you're not going to be right in this one, though, but go okay. ahead. So... Let's look at the three things that Cornhorn is known for. Um, Jedi. Banging, banging Merrick's Terry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> being, being a cool Jedi. Yeah. Being a cool X-Wing starfighter ace. Yep. And being a cool Corsac officer, which is basically being like a Texas Ranger in Star Wars. Yeah, I'll give you that. Okay. He kind of got all the good stuff. So, like, what's wrong with that? Why can't you have a hero? He's still flawed, though. Oh, yeah, he definitely is. He's a hero that, you know, has the cool background. He definitely is, but it was like, he he was sort of that, like the, he reminded me of the kid in high school that's a brilliant academic honor roll student and also the best basketball player on the team and is also just really nice and (laughs) likable and you just kind of like detest him because it's like you're too perfect. Yeah, um, it, but... like I, I'm not. No, I'm not going to go as far as calling him like a, a Mary Sue type of character or the the male well, version of that. He, he maybe I don't I don't know enough about writing, but I mean the the shit. He, oops, sorry. The stuff he was put through, though. I mean, being tortured on that ship, and you know how many times did he crash, and we all thought he was dead. I mean, the guy's been through hell, so he definitely was. Now he's paid his dues. Right. But when it came to when it came to because I reread X Wing Rogue Squadron and Wedge's Gamble recently. And I found myself thinking that what Michael Stagpole really wanted to write was Cornhorn's backstory when he was on Corellia. And that was the more interesting story. I wanted to see Cornhorn working as a space cop with his dad, who was killed by Bosk, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to see that stuff. And I thought the, the Rogue Squadron element could have been the story of Wedge, and Gavin Darklighter, Biggs's cousin. I was like, I really wanted to know more about him. I thought that dynamic of Wedge and Gavin Darklighter would have been a lot more interesting and leave Corrin as 
the the space ranger, the space cop, the Corsac officer, who eventually realizes his father was a secret son of a Jedi, and he goes on this Jedi path. I thought Corrin would have had a much more detailed and interesting story if we never necessarily saw him getting in Rogue Squadron. Hmm. All right. So, Maybe so. Yeah. I'm glad he's there. Well, it's, it was still good. It was still a good character. Like you said, I, I like the character. I just found myself thinking he Stackpole wasn't telling the Cornhorn story that I really wanted to see. I wanted to see before he joined Rogue, Rogue Squadron. So, well, in, a, in essence, I wanted the prequel to X-Wing Rogue Squadron. I'm trying to find it here while we're chatting. Gosh, I don't know if this is where it is or not. There is a series of short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's reprinted in it Star Wars Tales from Tales the of the New Republic or Tales yeah. of the Empire. Because there's a, uh, Tales from the New Republic. Because yeah. there's a story in there about Hal Horn. Yeah, yeah. And I, don't they bump into Thrawn in that one too? Yeah, there was a. Oh gosh, this was. There was a. It was like a four-part story. Two parts written by Stackpole and two parts yeah. written by Zahn. It's in my hands right now. Yeah, and I think yeah, it was it was Cornhorn and his dad Hal. And then Thrawn was there, but I think Thrawn was even impersonating somebody. Like, okay. Thrawn was going undercover as somebody kind of well known, but I don't know who it was now. But so, I mean, that, that's your, there's your Corsac story. Yeah. But, yeah. So I, I didn't mind that he had had all the things go right in his life because so many things were going horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, just left and right, this poor guy was thrown through the ringer. Right. And then you know, like the I Jedi book. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember the first thing about iJedi, but I will tell you, when I finished reading it, I remember saying to myself something like, that was my favorite book I'd ever read in my life. Wow. Now, I was all of 20 years old, or probably sure. at the time, or 25, sure. but I was just totally wowed by that book. Yeah. Um, just wow. And then, of course, you know, we came back for Isard's Revenge. Mm-hmm. So, cool character. I was, I was never very impressed with what they did with him afterwards. Because, you know, the, after the X-Wing books, I mean, he, he would show up and stuff, and he showed up in a couple of New Frontier... No, not New Frontier. Um, New Jedi Order? Yeah, I'm sorry. My Star Trek books are, are mixing and intermingling. New, he showed up a couple of times in New Jedi Order, but nothing that knocked my socks off, you know? Yeah, it was... I mean, it was the same as Timothy Zahn and Mara Jade. It was... I don't think anybody really knew how to write him as well as Stackpole, and... Or they had their own agenda. Or they had their own agenda. Yeah, maybe just, yeah. everybody just said, "No, he's he's that guy's signature character. I'm going to write my own characters." Yeah, um, but I recommend still that people check out the X Men books. I think as you, would you say they hold up still? You've read them more recently. Uh, okay, so th- then I I do have one other issue. As I was saying, I really like. Oh the, my god. I, okay. Drunkula, I swear, just bitch and complain and complain and complain. Did you like the books? I did. Okay then, just give you a little quibble, whatever. No, but the problem was the problem was the villains, at least in those first two books, in in Rogue Squadron and in Wedge's Gamble. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the Rogue Squadron books ever had a great villain, and he tried to make Isard that great villain, but I don't think she was because we never really knew her that well. <laughs> so what we had instead was this this low level Imperial like intelligence officer named Kurtan Lore who had this backstory with Cornhorn, but the first time we see him, like his first chapter, he's outsmarted by the guy he's torturing. So we see that, okay, he's not that smart, so I'm not afraid of him. All right. And he wasn't, 
a, a, he wasn't a good pilot in his own right, so his, his job is just to sort of catch up to Rogue Squadron after they've blown away an Imperial base. And and I, I thought I thought those books needed a better villain. Um, but here's here's the piece you're missing. You're reading it. You're missing some context okay. of the time of the time, which made her a cool villain. Uh, what made her a really interesting villain and female imperial agent or, or admiral or whatever was that she wasn't Dala. Yeah. That's what made her so interesting. That's right. Because Dala, we had, we had just suffered through those terrible Kevin J. Anderson books. And I don't know how people feel about them in retrospect now, but as they came out, we all hated them. They were awful, See, awful, I, awful, awful, awful books. I remember, I remember enjoying them at the time and thinking they were a lot of fun, but thinking that he was taking the Jedi themselves to the point where they're like superheroes and not real characters and just kind of going too far afield. It was, it was like, it was, it was the 90s extreme Star Wars. Everything was just bigger. The Jedi were more powerful. The villains were just like more Death Starry. There were just more super villains. And yeah. well, they had that sun, they had a, the proto the Death Sun Star Crusher or something. Yeah. The sun, yeah. Yeah, Sun Crusher or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. That's funny. Okay, okay but, so yeah, Iceheart is definitely Ice not Admiral Iceheart benefited from the fact that she wasn't Dala. So, and also at the time, it got it was getting to the point. Uh, it's kind of funny where you the the Imperial people were becoming predictable. They're going to have some distinguishing characteristic. Mm-hmm. You know, Dala was a red hair. With Iceheart, it was she had what. Red hair, or she, or whatever color hair she had, weird streaks of hair, and she had multicolored eyes. Yeah, she had one red eye and one yep. blue eye. And then you know, it just seemed like every, but every new imperial agent had to have some unique appearing characteristic, and that was going to be how you knew who they were all the yeah. time. Yeah. <sighs> which is so why, I, which is why I think they needed to change gears when when they brought in the Yuzhen Vong. I think they needed a new villain. Well, now the Wraith Squadron. If I remember correctly, you know, we had the four yeah. X-Wing books by Stackpole. Then we got the three books with um, Aaron Alston. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, do you know much about Wraith Squadron at all? I know the core concept, and I've, I know what I've read, because I've read, like, the essential chronology, and I know sort of summaries of those stories, but I've never read the books. Okay. They're okay. They're not They're not as good as Stackpole's, but they're still very entertaining. Mm-hmm. And the gist of it is, you know, it's a commando squad that's yeah. put together. You know, you've got a guy who's master of disguise. You've got a guy who's, you know... Uh, I don't even remember now, but they had everyone had kind of a different function. Right, right. It was like a dirty dozen. It was like a dirty dozen or the eighteen. Yeah, was, yeah. And one of the guys was even named Face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they got kind of deep into their own um, continuity of jokes. Mm-hmm. Like by the end of it, there was actually a, an Ewok. I want to say pilot, if okay. I remember right, yeah. which was just horribly silly, but it was all tied back to a joke they had made a long time ago. Right. But th- those had Warlord Zing, Zing or Zing, yeah, yeah, Zing, Zing. Yeah. And if I, I seem to recall he made a pretty good villain. Um, I don't know entirely, but mm-hmm. that's what I recall. And I, actually, I liked Azard, Isard as a villain. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe I need to reread them. Maybe that's just it. Maybe it's because I haven't read them since they first came out. And at that point, we were so hungry mm-hmm. for good Star Wars. Yeah. That it just you know wasn't gonna it was you know we'd, we'd almost accept anything other than kevin j anderson so right. you you said you haven't read many of the x-wing comics no not really now i i had a buddy of mine who was really into it he would kind of like tell me what's been going on and how baron fell had been introduced it was so interesting in the comics yeah but i i'm not all that familiar with them yeah if you can track them down maybe they'll maybe they'll be republished i hope they do 
Um, or if you can find the uh, the X-Wing Rogue Squadron omnibuses. They collected the whole series in just three of them. I particularly, I went back and looked at them again, and the second story arc, which is called The Phantom Affair, is really good. Uh, it you tells... Know, I, think, I think I have that trade, actually. You might, and that one tells the sort of the background, the... Um, it shows the origin, basically Wedge Antilles' origin, how his parents were killed, how he first met Mirax and Booster Tarek. Um, and it's also, it does have a good villain, this this Imperial agent who used to be a pirate, and his name is Loka something, Loka Hask. And he has, like, this crazy starfish thing stuck on his head. It was like the face hugger from Alien, if it had kind of, like, missed and instead, like, suction cup to his ear. <laughs> um, but there was, like, this... There, there seems to be like this ghost Jedi in it that turns out to be uh, this weird hologram, and there's this whole conspiracy. It was, it was a really good story. It was probably my favorite story arc from that series. I just looked at sitting on my shelf. I'll have to read it. Yeah. Now I, I, I remember reading some, and I remember thinking that Michael Stackpole was better suited for books than comics. Mm-hmm. But maybe I was just being too hard on it at the time. Maybe I had a hard time maybe making the leap. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think he was still growing. Like I said, he didn't, he didn't script the first couple of stories. I think he just kind of outlined them or got a story credit. Because you're right, and when you said they were, the X-Wing were, whether it was official or not, they did sort of spin out of the X-Wing game. Stackpole himself, I think, originated in the sort of gaming universe. He had been yeah. writing, was it Robotech or Battletech? It was Battletech, I believe. Yeah, and he had been doing a lot of stuff for that that game. And he he wrote a novel for the Mutant Chronicles role playing game. I know that I read, and so I think that was his background. And I I bet that's kind of what got him the gig was that he was used. He might have been involved in the X Wing video game process or some part, and maybe was writing the story for that game. Could be, or they had read one of his books and and it had maybe a dog, read a book with a dogfight or something. Yeah, yeah. And they realized he could he could do that, and they, they needed that for the X Wing book if they wanted to hook the fans of the game. Right, right. Yeah, especially because it didn't have the signature characters, so you needed a sort of signature look that felt like it was Star Wars. Yeah. You know, I, when I when I talked to him at one point, I was kind of bummed out. I asked him, I said, "So, is there any chance of you ever writing more Star Wars books?" And he's like, "They've got my number." Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to call. So I wonder if, given that Zahn went back so many times, yeah. and given that Aaron Alston was still hanging around there and stuff, I wonder if, I wonder what happened to not have him there anymore. Maybe he just got fed up with the new frontier. Or I keep calling it new frontier. <laughs> maybe he got fed up with the new Jedi Order because he wrote a couple of those. And, and maybe yeah, just... yeah, he wrote two in the first year. Yeah, and then I think. I think those were the last ones I actually read, and that's yeah. when I switched over to the audiobooks. Audio actually, books, yeah. When I think of Star Wars, my first thought isn't lightsabers and force choking. It's dogfighting in cool-ass spaceships. You know, war in the stars, as the name suggests. The first Star Wars film didn't end with Darth Vader cutting down Ben Kenobi in their duel. It ended with the X-Wings fighting TIE fighters and blowing up the Death Star. This might be an odd distinction to make, but I'm not saying that the X-Wings are my favorite part of Star Wars, although they were my favorite part of the Force Awakens teaser. But I do consider the ship battles to be the most critical component in whether or not something feels like Star Wars to me. 
Shag and I only skimmed the surface of the X-Wing books, but you know what? That just means I'll have to devote another episode to Wedge and Rogue Squadron sometime in the future. I would love to do some actual character biographies and reviews of the books and comics. For now, though, I want to thank Shag for being my guest today. For better or worse, you'll be hearing him pop up again in future episodes of Dead Both and Spies. Until then, you can find Shag at firestormfan.com, a blog devoted to DC Comics' Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. You can also hear him on the Fire and Water podcast and the Ultraverse Network. If you enjoyed this episode, you can leave me feedback by posting a comment on the show's blog page at deadboffinspies.blogspot.com or the Facebook page at facebook.com backslash deadboffinspies. You can also leave a review of the show on iTunes. Any comments left on the blog or Facebook page or iTunes may be read aloud by me in an upcoming episode, so let me know if you don't want your name or message read on the air. You can also find me on Twitter using the handle at RyanDaily01 or the username Count Druncula. Dead Bath and Spies is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or Walt Disney Company, and the views expressed on this show are solely the opinion of the speaker. All music and audio clips are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening, and until next time... Lock S foils in attack position.